Okay, good evening everyone. Good to have you back at Kingdom 101. And uh, to those who are listening to this recording, we say a big welcome to you also. Great to have you with us uh, on SoundCloud. This evening, we're going to get back into our expository journey. And the title is just plain, one word, follow. I was trying to be creative here and there, but somehow this word to me tonight is the most important word. We're going to see what the word follow really means. It's a familiar word to us, but we're going to see what God is going to teach us even through this passage tonight. So join me, let's pray as we commit this time to Him. Heavenly Father, once again, we ask that You bring Your Word alive. Holy Spirit, just come upon Scripture, Lord. Bring it alive for all of us. Take away our tiredness. Take away, Lord, any distraction that would stop us from hearing Your voice. And so, Lord, be with me, be with my brothers and my sisters. And together, Lord, as we worship you through the declaration of your word, Lord Jesus, be magnified, be glorified, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this word follow, in recent times, I think it has been redefined in quite a few ways. Now, if I show you a picture of social media icons, you will understand what I mean, right? Last time the word follow, obviously, is just I follow you, you follow me. Lah. But today, social media has redefined this word follow. If you want to know what a person is saying, what a person is thinking, uh, what a company is rolling out as their new products, new announcements, what do you do? You follow this person or you follow this company, right? And... Um, the numbers of followers can run into thousands, can even run into millions, yeah? And actually, I just had this little experience um, since last week. If you remember, last week, I shared with you a personal response to a case that a verdict was pronounced last week. And I shared with you in a closed setting, I said, if you like to read that post, you know, you could go find it from my website, and if you feel it can bless someone else, you just share it with them. And so one or two people from within this, this group shared that post on Facebook. And then it was shared, and it was shared, and it was shared. And that night when I went back, it was 1,000 views. The next day, it was shared again. And at the end of the day, it closed in with 18,000 views. Today, when I look at that post, of course, it slowly sort of dwindles, right? I know huh? people get tired of what you have to say. We've crossed 40,000 views. And this is social media. I mean, I like, I follow, you know? And so they, they, read, they read that view, and our blog site, and as well as our Keepers Awakening, we have more followers now, praise the Lord. See, social media has changed the way we looked at this word called follow. And not all followers are really followers. They could be stalkers. <laughs> followers could also be gossips. The word to follow or followers, you know, these are not Christian terms. We don't own these terms. But with these things happening, it's not really helpful to us. Already we are struggling with, you know, what a, a follower is all about. With all these things coming in, I think it really challenges us even more. So let's look at tonight's passage. We're in Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 22. Let's read the text and see what the Bible has to say about this thing called follow. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, this, if you notice, is the very first reference to what we call discipleship in the book of Matthew. But we say discipleship, but do you realize the word disciple is not even used here? We read through the verses. We don't see one word called disciple. Instead, we have the word follow. 
In fact, the first mention of the word disciples is a few verses down in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, which we will get to soon enough. But is it not true that although discipleship is a very familiar term in the church and in Christian teaching and understanding, we still have many questions surrounding discipleship. This is not surprising. I've sat down with people. We've talked about things. Discipleship is a very common term, and yet we think we know, and yet we don't know. And that's what we want to explore in this session. And it's a very important thing for us to do because the implications are massive. If we don't understand what to follow means and what a disciple is all about, how do we understand when we get to Matthew chapter 28, the great commission where Jesus says that we are to go and to make disciples? Maybe that's why we are still so confused. At the same time, it affects all of us also, not just corporately, but also personally. And that's my prayer for every one of you this evening and everyone listening in. Don't let it just be a Christian concept called discipleship where we attend a few lessons or you know, some conferences and think we know everything already. But let's get into Scripture and see what this passage really says. So let's start with some terms and some definitions. Looking at this one word called disciple, which doesn't appear in this text in the first place, in the Greek, it is taken from this word called matethes. And it really means a student or a learner. Every time we see this word used, it's translated from this word that really means a student or a learner. Now, it doesn't sound like disciple. That's because disciple was taken from the Latin equivalent, disciplus, where in the English, it's translated a pupil, a learner again, and here we have this word, a follower. Right? I'm giving you the different nuances. So, looking at the definitions from the Greek as well as from the Latin, let's construct a simple definition of a disciple. A disciple is one who follows another with the purpose of learning as his pupil. Is that simple enough? That's what a disciple is. Nothing else. That's the disciple. Someone who follows another, whoever this person may be, with the purpose of learning as his pupil. Now with that in mind, let's ask ourselves another question and go to a few more terms. Let's look at this one term called believer. If I look around this room and I ask you, how many of you are believers of Jesus Christ? Okay, I would presume it's 100%, right? That's why you're here. All of you are believers of Jesus Christ. Now let's ask another question. How many of you are followers of Jesus Christ? Yeah, almost 100% again, right? Some a little bit unsure, but put up a hand. So you are believers of Jesus Christ, and you are followers of Jesus Christ. And most of the time I ask the question, I get the kind of immediate response. And then I follow up with the third question. How many of you are disciples of Jesus Christ? And usually, there will be a hesitation. Am I accurate? Right? I ask believer, yeah. So you follow Jesus? Yeah. Are you a disciple? Uh, Not sure. And I think it's a very good question for us to ponder. If you are a believer and you say you are a follower, and we just define that a disciple is someone who follows, and since you are a follower, does that not make you a disciple? Can you see the terms that we use if we are not clear about them and or we have certain perceptions or perspectives about them, then it confuses us or it defines us or we refuse to be defined by it depending on how we think. Let's leave this question hanging because we want to get into the passage. We will come back to this question. But since we are talking about disciples in the context of the first century Judaism, where a disciple will follow a teacher, and we call him a rabbi. Let's use a a rabbinic model tonight. Let's ask questions. 
Rabbis would teach by asking questions. Jesus asked lots of questions. So I want to ask questions because as I read through this passage, questions popped up. And this is a good habit for you to develop. When you read the Bible, ask questions. In biblical interpretation, we call it interpretative questions. That means if you're not sure, ask. Write it down. You may not get an answer immediately, but it forces you to go look for the answer. And that's where you begin to search scriptures. By asking a question doesn't mean that you have less faith. By asking a question is not that you're offending God. If you're asking openly with the right attitude and the right perspective to say, Lord, I, it doesn't sound right for me. It, it doesn't connect for me. Can, if this is like that, how come it's like that? Write it down. It's a good thing to do. So we are going to ask questions, seven to be exact. I love the number seven. So let's start with a basic one. Let's see whether you have the same questions as you read through this passage. I look at this and over and again, I would always ask this, was this Jesus' first encounter with the four Galilean fishermen? Have you asked this before? Yeah. Because when we don't read the Gospels always in sequence, right? Well, sometimes we read John, and sometimes we read Matthew, and then we jump to Luke, and then we go to Mark, you know, and then we forget, and then we come back again. So every time we read about the disciples, and we come to this Jesus' you know, encounter where He meets them and He invites them, and they say, yes, immediately, we're like, wow, Jesus must be so powerful, so attractive. The moment He calls, only He goes. So I think this is a very good question to handle first. These are the four guys. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James and John. Was it their first encounter with Jesus? I submit to you, the answer is no. This is not their first time meeting Jesus, nor Jesus meeting them. Now, a beautiful thing about expository teaching or preaching is that we have learned things in context. Last week, we went into the appointed time of Christ, right? Before He launched into His public ministry. That before He went even back into Galilee, He spent a time moving around in an earlier ministry. So don't forget that. That's the context that we have. And we are reminded or we are told actually in John Chapter 1, verse 35 to 42, Jesus had already met some of these names. So let me look at chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed him, Jesus, was Andrew. You see, Andrew was mentioned. And that was immediately after the baptism of Christ. So that's one. Number two is Simon Peter's brother. And we know Andrew actually went to Simon Peter and said, we found the Messiah, come and see him. And there's a possibility that one of the two disciples mentioned there, one was Andrew, the other might have been John. Your John writing the Gospel of John never refers to himself. He's always talking about the one that Jesus loved, right? And John might have brought James, we don't know. So we can leave that to speculation. Can you see, Bible needs to interpret Bible, right? And so if that was one of the earlier meetings of Jesus with these people, then clearly in Matthew, after he has gone on his circuit a little bit, some itinerant, and now this is the time where he makes Capernaum his hometown. He walks by the Sea of Galilee. He meets again with these people. So this is not the first time so with that as an understanding, let's go on to the next question. So Jesus calls them, right? And usually we'll say, this is a call to discipleship. If you have your section title in your Bible, mine says, four fishermen called as disciples. So I ask myself, was this a call to discipleship? Most likely you might automatically just say yes, because that's what we've been taught. We have heard this message many, many times. Can I surprise you? In my opinion, I say no. Okay, this evening's teaching will be challenging because it will provoke you. Let's look at some scripture again, drawing from John chapter 1. These two disciples 
Now, Andrew and presumably John, they were already termed as disciples. What they did was they switched the discipleship to Jesus. They followed Jesus. Can you see this? Then you say, no, no, how can you just presume? Maybe they just go and look, see, look, see anyone, just to check Jesus out. Not possible. But do you know in the very next chapter, in chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So was there already a term called disciples? Yes. Is it possible that Andrew, Peter, and John might have been included already in this term? Very likely. Because these names are the more prominent ones. So can you see, the moment they started to follow Jesus, as we have already defined in our terms, if they're willing to go with someone, then they're putting themselves as disciples of this teacher or this rabbi. So if it's not a call to discipleship, since they were already considered his disciples, then what is this call or this invitation? I see this as Jesus' invitation to the next level of commitment. Meaning to say, Jesus, before then, you and I already know, He was doing His ministry. He would do and He would perform His miracles. He would you know, go wherever He would be led, but it was not time yet. But now He knew this is the time from that time. He's going to preach the kingdom. It's going to be a different phase. He's going to move at a faster pace. He's going to go deeper right now. Now he's going to need people with him to follow him at a much deeper level of commitment. And that's why he goes to John and he goes to uh, James as well as Andrew and Peter. Then he goes there and says, now follow me because it's time. No more fishing me. No more other things already. They had already followed him earlier. They were termed as disciples earlier. But they still went back to their fishing. In our present context, we will say they serve as and when. But now Jesus is calling them to serve full time. Can you understand what I'm saying here? But were they disciples before already? I say yes. You have to be convinced yourself, you see. So, was Jesus calling them to be disciples again? No. He's just saying, now I'm moving on, follow me. This is it. It's a different level of commitment. Now, you'll change your mind and your perspective of how you view discipleship if you understand this. Because Jesus is always inviting people to go to the next level with Him. Do you understand? So this call is nothing other than an invitation to say, would you go to the next level? That's it. Would you go to the next level? It's not a call, will you be my disciple? No. That's why it's important to read the Scriptures in context. Until you piece it together, you always think that they were fishermen before and then they were disciples after that. Yes? That's the kind of a thought we have. And it blocks our mind, you understand? But this will open up an entire paradigm for you. So I will ask a more important question within this one. Must a Christian be called before he or she can be a disciple? Is it a good question, friends? Because that's what many of us have been taught. Because we look at this passage and say, well, Jesus called his disciples. So I, am I, I'm not a disciple yet because Jesus hasn't called me. So we use that as a marker, must a Christian be called or must anyone be called before they can be a disciple? Can I surprise you? If you read your Bible, not every disciple was called by Jesus. And in fact, you will see many others as he moved in his itinerant ministry as a rabbi, people coming up to him and say, can I be your disciple? They offered themselves to follow this rabbi. Jesus never called them. So it sort of blows our mind and really, you know, challenges us, this whole thing about a call. Jesus called some and others called themselves. So it's not conclusive that someone has to be called to be a disciple. 
I believe that these people simply believed who Jesus is or was, and they had a desire to follow Jesus. They believed in who Jesus is and what He had to promise, and so they readily followed. I believe it's the same for Matthew also, where he's sitting by the tax collector booth and Jesus comes to him and says, follow me, and he leaves that tax booth. Would he have known Jesus earlier? Very likely. It wasn't some magic spell that Jesus came and cast upon Matthew and said, follow me. He would have heard about Jesus, followed Jesus at some distance, and when Jesus said, come, next level, would you come, follow me? He says, yes. He goes. And that's why I I like to summarize it this way. The one we believe, we will follow. Think about this. You have to believe in this person or in, in something enough to be able to follow what this person is saying. The one we believe, we will follow. Now, if you believe wrongly, you will also follow wrongly. But if you believe this person who is correct, who is the way, the truth, and the life, then you will follow also this person. You don't have to believe and then wait and say, can you call me here? No, naturally. one. The one we believe, we follow. So friends, if you're still waiting for a call to be a disciple, no need. Because Jesus is always calling, inverted commas, inviting us to the next level, is it not? And so I stand as a representative and ambassador of Christ tonight telling you, don't wait for the call. He's already inviting you. Will you go to the next level with Him? Let's go to the next question. Is every believer expected to be a fisher of men? I remember the Sunday school song. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. And so we grow up thinking everyone has to catch men. So let's look at what the text says. Jesus was actually using a play on words, and you know He does that all the time. The whole Bible is full of biblical puns. And so He uses one word, helios, and He adds on helios anthropos. So in English, it's translated that you are now fishermen, but I will, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And it works out well there. It was a play on words. He didn't go to Matthew and say, you know, he didn't use the same phrase on Matthew. Follow me, Matthew, and I'll make you fishers of men. Or if you want to play a text, uh, uh, the, the text phrase, uh, follow me, Matthew, I'll make you a taxer of men. <laughs> Cannot. He was already taxing men. I'll make you collect taxes or tithes for me. It doesn't make sense. You know, so he didn't play on those words with Matthew, right? So it was really just a figure of speech. Does it mean it does not apply to us? Well, if you're not a fisherman, then it doesn't doesn't really work well upon you. But regardless of our vocation, I think we can safely say our assignments will always involve the gathering of people to Jesus and His kingdom, okay? So don't worry. I mean, I'm, I'm no fisherman. I don't know how to go fishing. I get bored. But some people love fishing. They can fish the whole night. So this works for them, but for me, it just just doesn't work. I I don't know how to gravitate towards this. But as we look at this, I think a better principle to derive from this teaching or this play on words might be this. That every ability or talent that we have can be realigned for the Master's use. Amen? And so Jesus looks at these guys who would haul in fishes. And he looks at them and says, you want to haul in something that is of more important value? I'll teach you how to, I'll make you haul in and gather men and women for me. Amen? And so it's a realigning of the ability. It's a realigning of whatever talent or whatever business that they might have had. And this principle works for us. See, Matthew, as a tax collector, would have been very good either with numbers or with detail. And, you know, God 
uses him, realigns him into the kingdom, and today he writes the book of Matthew. The same thing happens to uh, uh, Luke, who is the other gospel writer, right? As a physician, as a doctor, he would record things and so on, and he would check things out to see if it was so, and God uses him, realigns him, and today we have the gospel, not only, uh, the book not only of Luke, but also the book of Acts. How precious. So any ability, whatever talent you have, whatever you are dabbling in, if this is a strength that you have, if you would align this with the kingdom, God can use this for His glory. Those of you know that before I came into the full-time ministry, you know, I spent a larger part of my, actually a lot of my, the whole, almost the whole of my working life, uh, 14 years in the advertising, marketing, communications business. In the music scene, I was writing music, I was performing, and I was doing stuff like that. But the moment the Lord drew me back into His arms, by His grace, back into the church, and I was bitten by the kingdom bug, <laughs> loving Jesus, you know, with, like, like, like I've never known before. And today, you know, as He calls me into the ministry, the experience, the talent, the ability of marketing, communications, putting, putting things, you know, communicating God is using in the area of preaching and teaching. Amen? And, and you see the slides, they are there. And I'm not saying that they're all great things, but I'm able to use the, the skill that the Lord has given to me to communicate clearly and simply to many other people. As a musician, a songwriter, you know, I move from writing soppy love songs to my girlfriends. Don't tell Serene, although it's recorded. <laughs> that you write now, worship and praise songs unto the Lord. Amen? You see, this is what I mean. So, I would rather you look at this you know, and don't stop trying to push yourself to be a fisher of men if you're not a fisherman. But I'd rather you look at, the, look at what you are and say, Lord, this is who I am. Then, Lord, you take me and you realign me for your use and for your glory. And this is one way of discovering also the assignments and the tasks that the Lord wants for you also. Are we ready for the next question? So we've gone three questions and we're just laying foundation and moving on. So looking at these fishermen now, I ask the next question. What qualifies one to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ? What qualifies these guys? I mean, these were Galileans. These were fishermen. These four guys. The Bible tells us in Acts actually that, you know, they looked at these Galileans, they were uneducated. They were untrained. Say what you like, they would have known their Torah because every Jewish boy would have had to learn that until their bar mitzvah at 13 years old. So they know their scriptures, they know their stuff, but the problem was that after they finished, I called them rabbi rejects. Because the rabbi said, okay, finish already, you finish your PSLE already, you can go. That's the minimum standard, that's it. You're not good enough for the rabbi actually to look at you and say, come, be trained under me. You're not good enough to be my disciple. And so for the majority of the Jews or the Hebrew boys and also girls is that if they are not able to make that cut, what will they do? They'll go back and learn a trade, usually pick up the family trade. And we see these young men there, fishermen, being tradesmen, and just running their family business. In the eyes of the rabbis, they were not qualified. They were not good enough. What qualifies one to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And is it not true that many people, many believers today, also feel that they are not qualified to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You know, I preached a series on discipleship once, and I really took the trouble and I said, look, come on, guys, you are believers, you are a follower. Does that not make you a disciple? And yet after that, they, they agreed with me. At the end of the service, I was talking to one sister. I said, so are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And she looked at me and she frowned and, and she didn't dare answer. I said, wait, wait, wait. So I went through the whole thing again. Are you a believer? Yes. Are you a follower? Yes. So that makes you a disciple. And then she couldn't say yes. And I said, why? I thought you agree and you, 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 you understand that. She said, I understand. But I think I'm not good enough. I'm not ready yet to be a disciple. I don't feel I'm qualified yet to be a disciple. Anyone feel that way? Yeah. And that's why we, we, we actually disqualify ourselves. 
Then I was trying to help her. I said, okay, I won't ask you whether you qualify for uh, discipleship. Let me ask you another way. What qualified you for salvation? No, don't talk about disciples, okay? What qualified you for salvation? What does Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 onwards tell us? We are told that it is by grace, through faith, we are saved and not because of our works. Amen? I said, look, my dear sister or my dear brother, if nothing qualifies you for salvation, then nothing qualifies you for discipleship either except grace and faith. You can't work to be saved. But because you are saved, Jesus qualifies you for all He wants you to be. Amen? By grace, through faith in Christ, you are already qualified. But we keep disqualifying ourselves. And that's why I like to put it this way, that we believe Him, He receives us. Is it funny that in Christianity, always we say we should receive Jesus? Actually, it is more accurate to say that He receives us. We believe He receives. And that's it. The one I believe is the one I will follow. Will He reject me? He won't. Because I believe, He receives me as His disciple. Amen? So friends, what qualifies you for discipleship? By ourselves? Nothing. Jesus qualifies us for all things. Amen? I hope you're receiving this in your spirit. Because some of you are still thinking, you mean like that, Ken? Ah? But I don't know my Bible. I've only been in church for like half a year. I've just been saved. You see the problem here? If you follow Jesus... You are his follower, which means you are his disciple. Let's go on to the next question, number five. As I read this passage again, many times, even as a younger boy last time, I said, wow, the disciples answered immediately. So the question I ask is, what enabled the disciples to respond as they did? What enabled the disciples to respond as they did? Immediately to Jesus' invitation. Well, as we've already established, this is not their first encounter with Jesus. If you keep looking at this passage and say, well, this is the first time they met. Jesus happened just to be strolling by the Sea of Galilee. The Holy Spirit tells him, now, okay, look at this guy. You know, uh, yeah, that's uh, Peter and that's Andrew. Now, call them. And then you, you know, then Jesus suddenly goes, follow me. And they suddenly Wow, their eyes were fixed on him. They dropped their nets and they followed him. Now, if you have that kind of a picture, then you'll be stuck, you understand? You'll be stuck. You, you just wonder, wow, so powerful and so beautiful. Like that. No. But we've already established they had prior experience with Jesus. It wasn't the first encounter. In John chapter 1, where we drew from this reference, Andrew Here's John the Baptist declare, this is the Lamb of God. Immediately, he switches discipleship. Now, Jesus turned in verse 38, and seeing the two disciples following him, he asks, what do you seek? And then they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Maybe they're just being polite. And then Jesus says, now you come and see. In other words, yeah, come. Come and have a look. Who am I? they would have accompanied him also to the various places. They went to the wedding. It's recorded the disciples saw the first miracle of Jesus. They went on short-term mission trips with him. They went on projects with him. This is not their first experience with Jesus. They had prior experience with Jesus, you see. They already got to know him more and more. So we have to ask ourselves, what is your personal experience with Jesus? What's your experience with Jesus? Now, notice I didn't ask, what's your experience with the church? I didn't ask, what's your experience with Christian subculture? Usually these two things give us more problem than more help. What's your personal experience with Jesus? Have you experienced Him in action in your life? in your situations, in your family, in your work, in your world? 
Because if you truly have experienced Jesus in that way, whenever Jesus comes to you and invites you to the next level up, I believe you too will say yes immediately. Because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen? Can you see how understanding context shifts the way we think? How would you respond to an invitation from Jesus to even more? I mean, imagine these fishermen. They were on mission with him already. I mean, he, they saw these miracles. And here Jesus is saying, it's time, public ministry, we're launching out right now. These guys are like, yo, man, let's go. I mean, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> I mean, you didn't call me earlier. It wasn't time. But from that time, when Jesus says, let's go, they knew it was time with him. You see that? How would you respond. It's not just follow blindly. I mean, these guys are not stupid people. Jesus says, you follow me, I will make you into fishes of men. Oh, but I don't know all this. I don't know. I will make you into. Who's the one making? Jesus is the one making, you see. Do you want to respond to an invitation by Jesus to be made, to be formed, to be aligned, to be directed into the things of God? Is that a yes? Or do you want to wait until you get everything correct? Or then, okay, Jesus, you come back one year later. I've got all my theology correct now. I attended all my Kingdom 101 sessions now. I know everything about our Keepers Awakening. Ah, now you come later. You see that? If Jesus calls and invites, and each of us will be at a different point in time of our life, but it's an appointed time of God when it intersects, how will you respond? What's your prior experience with Jesus? What's your personal experience with Jesus? If you don't have, don't be condemned or pressured by a message like this. God is waiting for you to have that personal experience and He will build on that and at the right time, He will always invite you. You know, back in 2000, 8th of July, 2000, I was doing a 40-day, my first time embarking on a 40-day fast using the uh, Love Singapore um, program. My first time, I was still very young in the Lord then. That was 15 years ago. And that morning, that passage was from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. The parallel passage as we have read tonight. And when I read that scripture and I saw those two words, follow me. Don't ask me how. Huh? I knew the Lord was talking to me. That was the year 2000. Now, you know how I responded. I processed it with my pastor, prayed like crazy after that to make sure that I really heard correct and I was not like hallucinating. And I said, Lord, if you want me to follow, I will. And so I took time and in three years' time after that, I stepped out into full-time ministry, and this is where I am today. Jesus is still calling. He's still inviting. Not all necessarily into full-time, but into the next level of a higher commitment or a deeper walk with Him. But what enabled me to say yes at that point? Because when He drew me back in about 1994 to the year 2000, that was five to six years of rediscovering and knowing Jesus all over again. Are you, so, are you seeing that? See, it's not just like that and then I go. Jesus would build on his prior experience with you and you with him. And when he calls and invites, you will know how to answer. The next question is also very important. What holds us back from a deeper commitment of following Jesus? It's again very simple. When I do a preaching like this, uh, it's very easy to get the congregation going and they say, do you want a deeper walk with Christ? Everyone says, Amen! Yes! Do an altar call. Everyone come forward. We pray. Lay hands. And then, after when we go back home, then we wonder, wow, not so easy. Am I able to leave these things or not? Right? What do I have to let go? And so we look at these things and Symbolically, the Bible mentions these, right? The, 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 the guys had nets. They left their boats and they left their father. Three things. 
And I look at these things and I think they're very consistent. They're, they're consistent across the board. All of us would struggle with something like that. What would they represent for us today in modern Singapore? Because we are not all fishermen, like I said. But the first about nets is that they are entanglements. Have you tried to, to straighten out a net? It's very difficult, you know. Okay, if you have not done it before, I assure you. Okay, and in the, even in the army, when we try to do those rope obstacles, you know, try and pull out those nets, uh, it always gets tangled up. They are entanglements, and nets are also used to trap. So they are also entrapments. So this is the first thing that we will always consider when Jesus wants to bring us into a deeper relationship with Him. The equivalent of these for us would be the cares of the world, the affairs of this life. How many times I've spoken to people and the questions that come after that, they're very sincere. We want to follow Jesus. We want to love Jesus. But you know, Pastor, can you don't preach all these things? Can you tell us, uh, how do I get money into my bank account first? I've got children. I've got wife. I've got this. I've got that. You know, I've got this. And I said, I know, all of us have all these things in different measures, right? These are all the cares of the world. The question is, who is Jesus to you? What's your engagement with Him? The affairs of this life will always pull us back. Are we willing to let these go? These are the trappings of life, the deceitfulness of riches. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares. Now, if our lives are not right with the Lord, then sin or a life of sin will hold us back. So you may have seen the grace of God. You can have, see, you, you can have experienced the wonders of Jesus, His love and everything and His provision, but you are still not ready to leave things for Him. Why? Let's be honest. Sometimes we use God for ourselves. The second thing that holds us back will be the boats. And the boats would represent for us our assets and our securities. You notice Peter and Andrew, they were just seen, you know, casting their nets and so on. But John and James, they were in their boat. They left their boats. So this is like their company business. Maybe it was, there was a big signboard out there that says Zebedee and Sons. Thriving business, right? And they have to leave all that to follow Jesus full time. Like I said, again, not everyone is called to do that. But we all have assets and our securities. Look at Elijah calling Elisha. Elisha was, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That means, you know, it's not one. You know, he's, he's quite a well-to-do farmer in that. 12 yoke of oxen. But he burns everything and he has a barbecue party because the kingdom was more precious to him. Are we willing to let this go? Don't get me wrong, there's, there's nothing wrong with having assets and securities. You know what's the problem? When we place our trust in these things more than we trust the master who invites us. And we all struggle with that. Let's be honest. And is it not true? It always feels safer in the boat. Ask Peter and the disciples. The third thing is about Father. And Father would represent relationship and comfort zones of the family, right? Relationships that we have. And yet, it's not surprising that when a rabbi calls a disciple or invites a disciple to follow him on the road, and usually it's itinerant, they don't know where they're going to sleep. That's why Jesus says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's a life of uncertainty. But fathers, then biological fathers, they are actually quite happy when the children or the sons, you know, follow a rabbi and they're willing to hand them over for at least a while. It doesn't have to be full-time or uh, uh, lifelong. It could be for two years and three years just to follow this rabbi to learn something, sort of like an internship program. And they're happy to hand over this responsibility for the rabbi to look after them. And usually disciples will have such a close relationship with their rabbis that they would consider even the rabbi as their father, more precious even than their own biological father because the rabbi looks after them on the road. That's how close they are. Now, that concept is strange to us, right? Because we are homebound, you know, family, you know, and, and it's correct. Family is nice, it's good. But Jesus is saying, will you... Leave relationships for one that is higher. 
makes us think. Makes us think because we have placed a lot of emphasis on our relationships. So we, have in, we are in a comfort zone. We don't want to move. We know each other. We are being provided for. Trust Jesus. And this is showing up even sometimes in churches. Where if you've been in church for like 20 years, 25 years, 20, 30 years, what if the master tells you, follow me, I'm bringing you somewhere else? He said, no, la, cannot, la. Jesus, my, all my friends here, you know. Have you heard that before? People stay in the church because of friends, not because of Jesus. They stay in, because I grew up with these people. These are my ties. But if the Lord is saying, I'm bringing you out for something else, are you willing to sacrifice that? This is all I'm saying. Because elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus does not tell us to, 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 to leave and you know, neglect and so on. No, He is actually asking us to serve Him first. See, although there's a scripture that is usually hard to understand. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And what this really means is Jesus is saying, would you put me above all these relationships? That's what it means. Would you choose me over your own relationships? How many of us are ready to do that? And that's why I remind myself and I remind many other people to say, if you get the teaching correct, then I am a disciple first before I, of Jesus Christ before I'm a husband to my wife. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ first before I'm a father to my children. And if we will love Jesus correctly, do you know what? You will love your wife and your children even better. We're so afraid that we will neglect them because of the work of the ministry. Jesus also has this promise for us because later on, Peter said, look, Master, we've left everything. What, what, what's in it for us? And Jesus then said, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And then he adds, with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. You see the promises that Jesus gives to us? That if you will put Him first, you will receive all these things a hundredfold, not in heaven, eh? now, here it says, persecution included, and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, this is the promise of Jesus. So what holds us back from a deeper commitment? These are the things, guys. These are the things that will hold us back. And that's why the church struggles. And it's so easy or it's more convenient to say, I'm a believer, lah. I'm not disciple yet. Because if I say I disciple, then I've got to go through all these things. You see. So it's more convenient to remain a believer and wait until I have more time before I become a disciple. Question number seven, which is the last one, and I believe will be the most important. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, there are two words that are used, although translated into our English, follow. Let me read to you from verse 19 and 20. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Two words in the Greek, but translated into the same word, follow, in English. The first one actually has an understanding of or nuance of uh, uh, coming after someone. The word diote opiso. Opiso means behind or after, behind someone. So in some translations, it says, Jesus comes to them and says, come after me, follow after me, and I will make you fishes of men. There's an old rabbinic saying that says, let your house be a meeting place for the rabbis. Cover yourself in the dust of their feet. So that phrase, in the dust of their feet, has become a very interesting uh, message or, you know, a theme for some uh, sermons and teachings. Because what it means is that you are to follow after this master so closely that when he walks in front of you, you know, he kicks up the dust and you are covered at the end of the day with the dust of his feet. That's what it means to be following after him. 
okay, to come after Him. So it's really following the lead of Jesus. Wherever He goes, you are going to go. However He does things, you're going to follow that example. And so biblically, we have some of these examples. For example, here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, he says that he is the forerunner who has gone into the presence of God. Amen? And so this is what we love, right? Let's follow Jesus in. Amen? He's gone into the presence. So we follow him in, in Christ. We get to be in the presence of God. So that's a privilege for us. Next, he's also a leader in that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. And if we belong to him, follow him all the way, we know that one day, we too will be raised in the resurrection. Praise the Lord. But practically, we know that Jesus is the good shepherd and He says that my sheep follow me. And so we, we hear His voice. Whatever He says, we will follow. However He directs, we will follow. He also leads by setting an example. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, that example is actually an example of suffering. Where when he was uh, tortured and he was accused and he was tried, the example that he set for us, we are to follow in that footsteps. So this is one understanding of following Jesus, looking at his life and following after him. But the second Translation or the word follow is translated from another word, has an understanding of being together. So it's not come after me only, where he walks in front and you are tailing behind. It's also to be with him together, to come alongside him, where we are treated in relationship with him. And this is important. When the leaders saw Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. It's all about relationship with Jesus. Where it moves now from even just being his servants to becoming his friends. And Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, I now call you friends. And so everyone loves that. We are friends, we are no longer servants. But you have to read the rest of the Bible because all the apostles, their favorite title was, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. So we are both servant and yet we have the privilege of friends. you understand? So we cannot take one and throw it away and, and choose the one that you like. We are in relationship with Him and we need to know our position with Jesus the Christ. He is not just our Savior. He moves to be our Master. What is that relationship as we serve alongside Him? He's also our King. Relationship will also mean fellowship. And we have a very popular word in Christian circles. We call it koinonia. Today, koinonia seems to just suggest we sit down and share a meal. Nothing wrong with that. But biblically, it means a lot more. It means a sharing in, a partnership in everything. We are partners with Christ. So we have a fellowship of faith with Him. We trust Him and we obey Him. That's a relationship. You can only have relationship with someone that you trust. But out of that trust is obedience. It's a fellowship of life and suffering where whatever we have with Him, we partake of Him. You know, He gives us provision, He gives us blessing, He gives us, He shares His glory with us, you know, we boast in His name and so on. We have abundant life, but at the same time, He says, as you will be glorified with me, you will also suffer with me. That's being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's also a fellowship of mission and of purpose where we are partaking and sharing in the good news of the kingdom. And this is where we receive our assignments. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not attend 12 lessons and you know, receive a certificate and call yourself a disciple. That's what it has become, sadly. Now today, as we are following Jesus, it also means to come alongside not just Christ, but be in community with other disciples. And a student in those terms, in Hebrew, would be called a haver. And the plural will be a haverim. So if I'm a haver, a student 
of Jesus Christ, of my rabbi. And my dear brother here is also a Haver. And my dear brother is a Haver there. And my dear sister is a Haver there. When we come together, we are Haverim. And we learn together. We spar together. We ask difficult questions. And we are not afraid to handle the answers, you see? Are we doing that? This is discipleship. This is following Jesus. And that's what Jesus was asking the fishermen to do. Come follow me. Come after me. Come alongside me. Come be with each other together. And this is kingdom. And so let's ask this question again. Having gone through all the series of questions now, what would be your answer? Is a believer of Jesus also a disciple of Jesus automatically? Let me read to you from Bill Hull. And he wrote this book, The Complete Book of Discipleship. Hull says that today, non-discipleship Christianity dominates much of the thinking of contemporary church. Because we evangelicals accept and even encourage a two-level Christian experience in which only serious Christians pursue and practice discipleship while grace and forgiveness is enough for everyone else. Hal goes on to state that we can't truly follow Christ without desiring to become like Him. Following Him requires regeneration or new birth. Now look at this one statement after that. If we are reborn, we will follow Him unless we are taught that we don't need to. Do you understand what he's saying? The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you are reborn. Amen? We are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And the moment we have a new birth, we will want to follow Him. That's automatic. We become a disciple. You follow. But our problem is that we've been told, you wait first, huh? You're not ready yet. Once you're okay, then let's talk discipleship. He goes on to say, as a new Christian, an individual doesn't take a second step toward being a disciple. There's no second step. Instead, he embarks on a seamless journey of growth that passes through spiritual childhood, adolescence, and adulthood to maturity. Hal believes that when the distinction between disciple and Christian disappears, so does the damaging belief in a two-tiered church. A disciple then is the normal Christian who follows Christ. Who wants to say amen? Of course, we know Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it even strong, more strongly. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. So let's conclude, coming back to this all-important question. You notice I'm not letting you go until you are convinced with this. So is a believer also a disciple of Jesus Christ? I believe we can put that equal sign down there, right? A believer is a disciple. A disciple is a believer and they are both followers of Jesus Christ. See, friends, I've taken time to, to build this up and to share this with you. Because today really we are facing a big crisis in the church of Jesus Christ. And some of you possibly came today also with that notion that I'm a believer, I'm thankful for everything, I would like to learn, but I don't really want to be a disciple yet. Or I'm not ready, or I'm not qualified. I'm saying to you, Jesus qualifies us. Amen? There's no condemnation for any one of us. If you believe in Jesus, you follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Will you respond to His invitation to a deeper walk with Him? Will you leave the things that hold you back? Because this King is worthy of everything that you can give to Him. Come, let's pray together. Lord, once again, Lord, we stand in awe of the Word that You have given to us. We ask, Lord, that You will forgive us, Lord, that often, Lord, when we read Scripture, we gloss over it. Or our understanding of Scripture is framed by perhaps what we have received in the past in different ways. But Lord, this evening, Holy Spirit, I pray You will speak clearly to all of us. That Lord, if we have bought into this thinking that discipleship can wait or is only for a special breed of people, then Lord, change our minds, Lord. Break down this mindset, Lord. 
Because Lord, this evening, you continue to invite us to a deeper walk with you, to a next level of commitment wherever we are. And I pray, Lord, enable us entirely by your grace. Because Lord Jesus, you are worthy of being followed, Lord. And so help us, Lord, as our keepers who desire to be aligned and to be assigned by you as your people. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.